Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito, and I'm joined by the ever-present Shelly Massenoble. <laughs> Not the ever-present. No, it's true. You nope. had a uh, little little Bart Carroll was on uh, last week. Done some podcast without me. It's true. I'm sorry. I think people thought maybe Fury was involved in, in what he happened. kidnapped me? Or that perhaps I was in therapy? I think all of the above. Probably both. Do you know that Fury has a Twitter account now? I do, in fact, yeah. He tweets at me sometimes. Hats off to the people uh, uh, who yep. made that one for Real us. Real clever. Yeah. <laughs> nightmare inducing. Fury Literally, nightmare. Been. I know. Nightmare. Yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Glad you guys took that one and ran with it. All the way to... 12-year-old Shelly is crying somewhere. In a Dominican Republic or something. Cur- Caribbean Island. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Probably an island that's not even there anymore. It swam all the way here. It took that long <gasps> to get here. <laughs> Finally. Oh my he gosh. probably stopped it in New York first. Didn't realize I moved. Yeah. And yep. like, I want this movie now. I want to be like the fury that like is like, I will find her. Why? I didn't do anything. It's, well, maybe she, he's a fan of the podcast and then her he, too. I think he listens. Yeah. She's defaming me. <laughs> Must stop. He only speaks Spanish though, apparently. I, well, I mean, as I told you. It's, it's true. And <laughs> judging by his Twitter. I just I love that they actually went went full full improv on that. Me too. Making it happen. <laughs> Are you following Fury? Uh, I think I followed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we're watching you. Yeah. Fury. Keeping your eyes on. Yep. Yeah. Maybe we'll uh, <sighs> we'll do some retweets so people can find out about Fury. <laughs> Anywho, we got a lot going on here in the Dungeons and Dragons world. Uh, Shelly doesn't have anything going on, apparently, as you'll find out in our interview segment today. Don't do with that. We spoke with Adam Bradford and Leah Coons from Curse. Never telling them what I do here. Exactly. Yeah, you never actually did tell them what you do here. (laughs) As far as I know, you're just the host of the uh, Dragon Talk podcast. That you are the main host. This is a big deal. It is a big deal. Big deal. (laughs) A lot of people listen to you, and thank you for that. Uh, would you please give uh, Shelly all of the one-star ratings <gasps> on iTunes, please, so that she won't ever read them? <laughs> Are there one-star ratings? Only ones that have to do about you. Oh, which really? Is weird, right? Even before I've I've made this call on this intro. Sorry, sorry about that. Bringing Not you down all. as always. You're bringing the average up. We're gonna get six-star reviews now. <laughs> <laughs> but Greg, the system Mine doesn't allow us. Well, you gotta write in Cran the sixth star, and then do we'll it. know it. God. Yeah. Uh, so tough crowd. Well, obviously, we talked to those folks from Dungeons Dragons Beyond, which you can go find on dndbeyond.com. Go sign up for the beta. You'll get instant access to the compendium features. Uh, and uh, it's basically all the spells, monsters, and magic items in Super a sortable cool. list, searchable lists. It's amazing. Uh, and then the next phase will be coming soon, which is, of course, the character builder. And you'll learn all about that in our interview with Can't them. Can't wait. So don't wait for that. I'm giving you this long intro about what the intro I- interview is. because It's we, almost like you've done the interview. Well, we maybe in the past, in the future. And uh, we also have uh, a very long segment uh, from Jeremy Crawford and Sage Advice about multiclassing. This is a big podcast. One of those topics that people have been uh, asking questions a lot about since 5th uh, edition came. So he and uh, he cleared up every single a lot question. To say on it. Really? Probably. Maybe. There may be a few corner cases. We oh. might have glossed over some of them. Bah, the yeah. But we definitely, we, we covered a lot of the intent behind all that nice. as well as, uh, uh, you know, what to do uh, with specific um, spellcasting things. I think spellcasting was one of the things that people had a lot of uh, problems with. So, 
after that long, hour-long segment of uh, stage advice, stay tuned for D&D Beyond. And they're kind of related because you'll be able to test out uh, a lot of the fun things in the character builder uh, in multi-classing. And there's, there's, I'm making this fingers yep. going together yep. motion that things are blending. Yep. And, and I love when those things happen. Fabulous. Uh, Synergy. Other things going on in Dungeons & Dragons world, Tales from the Yawning Portal is out Available everywhere now. Seven dungeons from D&D's past, uh, present, and... Not Iconic. Iconic, that's true, right. Um, so if you've never played Tomb of Horrors or Hidden Trap to Mochan, uh, but you've heard about them, well, now you can. Now and you can play chance. them in 5th edition. Everything is updated. Uh, but the original uh, design is all there. Uh, so nothing, nothing much was changed other than uh, um, you know, some stat blocks and things like that. Cool. Uh, new maps, new art, skillfully put together by... Uh, Emmy Tanji and Kate Irwin and uh, whom talk all about that in an earlier podcast. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So go check that out if you haven't listened to it yet. Um, and I was going to say one more thing. Now I forget what it I is. I know you really messed it up. I really. That's why I deserve one star. Uh, we have a new um, game coming out. Uh, it was announced Dragonfire um, by Catalyst Labs. It's a deck building game that'll be coming out uh, this year, but that was announced very recently, so go find about that from Catalyst Labs. Nice. Um, and I feel like there's still more. Oh, yes, I know what it was. It was Planescape Torment Enhanced Edition. I started playing it over the weekend. Uh, we spoke with uh, Chris and Phil uh, from Beamdog, and I, I admitted to them that I had never played it before. <gasps> I was a terrible person. Uh, so I'm, I was jumping into it this weekend, and it, I was reading all the dialogue and being very much like, oh, I can see why people really enjoy this. Oh, it, it's got some really good, strong writing, uh, introduction into the idea of the uh, the uh, city of Sigil and the planes as, you know, the hub of the multiverse, the whole D&D multiverse. I love that you could be able to, uh, you know, go from Planescape, uh, using the Planescape kind of idea to go from uh, Forgotten Realms to Greyhawk to... Uh, your own homebrew campaign. Like, they're all connected uh, in that world, and I love that idea. It's very meta. Very cool. I was explaining that to Shauna Wolf Narciso, and she was like, oh, I love that. Oh. Yeah, and she was something like as someone who, who approaches Dungeons & Dragons not necessarily as an a invested fan, but as someone who has uh, been working with the brand um, in its current iteration, uh, she didn't really understand that idea. And so when we started to talk about it, she was like, God, oh, it's so fascinating that there's this multiverse idea and uh, I think Planescape Torment gets that across very well cool it's very sweet nice what's going on in your world Shani absolutely nothing that you can talk about no I can't talk about it but soon can you give any hints it's so cool (laughs) it's pretty much the coolest thing ever would you give a hint that you're like nah you know I don't really like it would you be like eh it's not really that fun I just wouldn't talk about it I would just be like "Mm, yeah but it's it's so when you find when you guys find out what Shelly's been working on, whoo boy. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. I will get all the stars. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps even literally, you will get stars. I might. Yeah. Celebrities. Oh. That's what I, that was I was trying to go with that there. I w- I instantly went to Quinn's little um chart that he gets stars for when he oh. does good things, like picks up his crap. Does that work? Oh yeah. He really? was like Super motivated by stars. Huh. He cashes them in at Target. Oh. At the end of the week. For like dollar store Target or like other things at Target? No, like those cheap plastic toys at Target. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Maybe we'll join that with the family. Very motivated. Because it's getting to that point where we're, we're, we're being like, it's time for time out. If you do that again. And she's like, I don't care. But she should literally say that. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not working anymore. Yeah. No, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> or it'll be like, eat All your right. vegetables. She's like, no. 
Like mm-hmm. matter very not even like defiantly, or just more matter of fact matter of factly being like, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, we have one of the things he gets stars for is eating real food as opposed to just like all I want is cookies and chocolate. Uh, or fries. Like my diet. Yeah. Don't eat like your mom. <laughs> Carrots. Eat a vegetable. Chocolate. Yeah. Yep. Carrots and chocolate. <laughs> mm, what a combo. <laughs> Yummy. Very Easter. Pretty much if you put ketchup on it, he'll eat it. See, my girls don't really like condiments. Isn't that strange? Yeah. They're not really. I mean, they, they'll ketchup. have some ketchup, but like they're not like, I like it. And they'll like <laughs> put it well, all over everything. Everything goes in ketchup. The only thing they do that with, though, I take that back, Parmesan cheese. They dip Parmesan cheese in ketchup? No, but if we have pasta, oh, the, if it you is put like that. they need to put yeah. Parmesan cheese over like, the, they, like it needs to be a blanket of white like the, over the, the green can- canister. Yeah. Like that one. Yeah, the shaky cheese. The shaky cheese. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's good. Stuff. Which I'm like, it's good, but like if you put too much on, it's gross, right? It's like putting too much salt on something. Mm, I don't. I I've <laughs> never like, had either too much salt and parmesan is kind of what makes the world go around. I guess that's true, but yeah. you can overdo it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking oh, of overdoing yeah. it. Speaking of overdoing it. Now this podcast is like 13 hours long. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Like, speaking of overdoing it, me and Jeremy talked for an hour okay, about that. multiclassing, so we're going to get to that. Okay. And uh, make with the bing bongs. Oh, yeah, the bing bong. Bing bong, bing bong. Welcome to Sage Advice, a segment where I speak to Jeremy Crawford, managing editor of uh, Dungeons and Dragons and all of the rules. Uh, and uh, we delve deep into one little facet of uh, the D&D rules and uh, try to make sense of it for all of you listeners out there. You ready, Jeremy? Yes. Hello, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about multiclassing in Dungeons and Dragons because it uh, often gets a lot of questions. It's a, it's a, a, a confusing topic sometimes for a lot of people, so we're going to break it down uh, and uh, uh, cover spell casting in, in multiclass as well as uh, uh, when you can and cannot. Yeah, yeah. We're going to cover uh, several different facets of multiclassing because it, it often generates questions because... Multiclassing is really a part of the game that invites you to look under the hood and start tinkering with the engine. Right. Uh, and for that reason, uh, one of the most important things to know about multiclassing before a person dives into this tinkerer's paradise uh, is that multiclassing is an optional part of the game. And what I mean by optional is the game doesn't assume that multiclassing exists. Now, that might sound like a strange thing to say, but what I mean by that is the rest of the system is designed as if multiclassing does not exist. Now, the system is resilient enough to absorb the weirdness that can arise from Mm multiclassing, and we develop all all of the character classes in the game so that they can function with the multiclassing rules. But that said... Nothing in the game is going to ever if it, nothing official in the game will ever require some multi-class character to solve a problem. Uh, and oh. that's what I mean by the system doesn't assume that multi-classing exists. The system is designed assuming that a group of single class characters can tackle uh, standard uh, problems, threats, etc that will be put in front of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't expect that, a group would need to have the versatility that multiclassing brings uh, to solve a problem. And yep. versatility is really what multiclassing is all about. Right. Uh, the different character classes really go deep 
into particular archetypes, uh, whether it's fighter or wizard or rogue or cleric, the four, you know, the four classic classes in addition to the many others. Multiclassing lets you take bits and pieces uh, from classes and fuse them together. Some people do this uh, to fulfill a particular character concept. You know, maybe they're imagining, imagining a character who maybe, you know, started their career uh, as a cleric, uh, lost their faith, and then decided to become a rogue, and then they were a rogue uh, forever thereafter until mm-hmm. maybe they decided they regained their faith and then took a few more levels in cleric or, or they decided to dive into yet another class. Other people use multiclassing to achieve particular game mechanics goals. You know, they might decide... Uh, oh, that class has a particular feature I really want, and so they'll invest uh, in that class just to snag that feature. But otherwise, imagine their character being a full member of uh, whatever class they started out in. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might be a a fighter who, uh, you know, wants to snag for whatever reason cunning action in the rogue but you might still conceive of yourself fully as a fighter and you were really just multiclassing for a mechanical purpose. Mm-hmm. Someone else might m- make the exact same multiclassing choice and it be for a story reason. Uh, it's because their character has turned to a life of crime and, and, uh, or you know, had a life on the streets that they, they want to reflect in a level or two in Rogue. Was multiclassing first introduced... Uh in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons? I feel like there was rules for, for then, right? Yeah, multiclassing has existed in one form or another going all the way back to first edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, how it functions has changed quite a bit. Right. Uh, early on in the game, uh, multiclassing, uh, the way we currently have it implemented didn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there were races like the elf uh, that could multiclass in a way somewhat like how multiclassing works now. Uh, but humans, for instance, uh, could not uh, multiclass as freely uh, and uh, had to use a separate set of rules called dual classing. Uh, and, oh, I remember that, right, and, where you had to like make a choice, like, okay, we're switching at this point and we're, you know, we're sticking with this class from, going, from you know, that way forward, right? Yeah, and different additions have also sometimes layered on um, experience point penalties to kind of slow you down. It was really third edition that instituted in the game a more open-ended form of multi-classing that really let you uh, dip your toe into many different classes regardless of your character's race. And fifth edition's multi-classing was really built on the third edition model, uh, but with some modifications uh, that helped it mesh better with how uh, fifth edition functions. Right. And also, the baseline assumption is different. In, in third edition, the assumption was that multiclassing was present in the core. Mm. In fifth, as I said, the core assumption is that multiclassing is an option that you only have access to if your dungeon master says you can use it. Or in the case of Adventurer's League play, uh, Adventurer's League, uh, part of its rules, allows everyone to use multiclassing. In that right. case... Uh, the admins of Adventures League are kind of functioning as the dungeon masters and making that call for all Adventures League tables. But in a home game, uh, it's really up to the DM not only whether uh, multiclassing is used, but even if particular combinations are allowed. So a, a, oh, I see. a, a DM might say, yeah, multiclassing is cool, uh, but this class combined with this class is going to be too much of a headache or... Uh, 
And, and then, you know, the DM might say no uh, because of that. Similarly, some DMs really want a strong story justification for multiclassing. They're not keen on people just uh, sort of snatching features for game mechanical reasons. They really want there to be some kind of character transformation going on in the story that justifies uh, the dramatic change of suddenly taking levels in another class. Yeah. Um, so once you've stepped through the door of multiclassing, your DM or Adventures League has said, yes, you can do it. Uh, you then immediately have to see, do I meet the requirements for multiclassing? And uh, every uh, class requires you to have a 13 in one or more ability scores uh, specified for that class in the multiclassing rules before you can multiclass into that class. Now, what I mean, that was and, a, a whole. Oh, sorry. And the, the, before before you ask your question, I'll sure. then also specify it. The rules also then require that you have a 13 in a specific ability score or scores in your previous class. Hmm. And the story justification for this, and we and we put this in the player's handbook, is that s- spreading yourself out like that in terms of your areas of expertise means you need to be an extraordinary individual and you need to excel in multiple areas because part of what we wanted to avoid would be someone like, uh, I just want to snatch a level in wizard but have an eight intelligence. Right. Uh, we're going to say, no, if you're, if you're going to start uh, spreading out in this way from your original class, we want to make sure that, A, for story reasons, you know, your character is actually good enough to do this, but also there was a mechanical reason we put in those requirements, and that was to actually slow down just sort of dipping into a bunch of classes. Uh, it, it doesn't prevent it because yeah. the fact that you can roll up your ability scores mean you could be lucky and have high enough scores that you could multiclass into anything. Yeah. But it just it, it pumps the brakes a little bit uh, to, to make sure – uh, for, for a typical character, you're going to need to usually have at least a slight investment in the ability score associated with the class you want to multi-class into mm-hmm. before you can make that dive. Granted, hitting 13, not too hard to do. Uh, in the playtest, we actually had that requirement higher. And in the in the, the next playtest, uh, there was a point, and now I can't remember if we ever released publicly this version of the rules, <laughs> but, but we at least internally had a version where actually the, the requirement was as high as 15. Oh, okay. That, uh, is, that is much harder yeah, to attain. Yeah, m- much harder, uh, and ultimately we decided too harsh. Uh, and so we dropped it to 13 uh, to make it a little easier to, to uh, dive into at least one other class, if not uh, more than one. Yeah. And you, you kind of answered my question as to the design intent as to why those limits were there, because they were there, you know, from, from when multiclassing was first introduced. And it seemed like the idea back then was because of uh, the rareness of, of getting a character that actually made it possible, you know, like, you know, actually having the ability scores to play an elf in uh, original Dungeons and Dragons was was difficult. You know, you did, it, it didn't happen when you just oh, rolled. Oh, yo, you're talking, yeah, back in back in first edition, yeah, you had to have, for instance, uh, certain ability scores to even become a paladin. Yes, uh, exactly. So, yeah. so, and that seemed to be like, well, there's the statistics that means just means there's gonna be, those paladins are gonna be special, those elves are gonna be special because it's a rare enough occurrence. Um, and then this seems to have some of that same idea, but then uh, uh, I like that it's married to the fact that they need to be exceptional individuals. Like they need to be something that, you know, it's a little bit easier to attain. 13 is definitely not as hard as, as, as some of the other requirements, but that 
you know, you it's it's yeah, you can't just be like I'm the fighter bard paladin elf king with <laughs> with a bunch of trash ability scores. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, I love how old school you are in that you basically because I don't know if you realize you're doing it. You keep referring to the elf as a class. I know. <laughs> I played I played a lot of uh, uh, original D and D as an elf yep. because it was basically like this is like a fighter mage with no penalties. Yep. There's absolutely no penalties involved. The only thing was that you couldn't go beyond I think level eleven or level nine, whereas human characters could go to level fourteen in the old system. So. Yeah, it was different. It was like, oh, you just don't have all the, the rewards of having all this stuff at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even in AD&D, the different classes, uh, class tables went up to different levels. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it wasn't standardized the way it is now where everyone's class table goes up to 20. And famously, I always loved the Druid class table for because in order to ascend, I think, past level 11, you had to, to kill the <laughs> <You> single <laughs> Druid that was at level 11 in order to ascend to that class. Right. And I just loved that idea as, as, a, as a teen, you know, flipping through these books, being like, oh, my God, I have to go. Like, that's going to be like a whole adventure unto itself is yep. just going up in a level. And man, it's brutal. It's brutal, right? Yes. Yeah. Those Druids, they don't, they don't mess around. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like, you know, the viciousness of nature. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so back to, uh, to, to multi-classing and, and uh, the, you know, what, what fifth has done differently. Uh, so a few, a few other basics about multi-classing. Uh, if you're using the multi-classing rules, anytime you level up, you can decide whether you're going to take your next level in your current class or in a new class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, you're then introduced to this concept of character level versus class level. Your character level is the total of all of your levels added up. So if, if you have three levels in cleric and two levels in wizard, you're a fifth level character. Mm-hmm. Uh, your class level, uh, you know, pretty obvious, is your level in each class individually. So in that case, you know, you're, if you're a uh, – wow, I keep bumping into the microphone. <laughs> if we talk a, with our hands. If, okay. if you're a, you know, a third-level fighter, third-level rogue, well, you're third-level in each of those classes even though you're a sixth-level character. And that goes under all definitions of you have to be a third-level you know, wizard in order to use these spells – that kind of thing. Yeah, if something in the game says, "Hey, when you gain third level in this class, that means you have to have three levels in that class." Your character level uh, at that point is irrelevant. So, if you're, let's say, you have eighteen levels in some other class, but only one level in this other class, mm-hmm. you're still just a a first level member of that class. Uh, now, a number of things in the game are based on character level rather than class level. Mm-hmm. For instance, and this is a question that has come up uh, many times since the game came out, uh, cantrips, uh, once you know a cantrip, its damage goes up, and that damage scaling is based on your character level, not your class level. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is cantrips are kind of like the spellcasting equivalent of just a sort of regular basic weapon attack. And cantrips are meant to be relevant uh, throughout all 20 levels of play. Yeah. And that that rule helps them stay relevant so that you're not basically, you know, casting the equivalent of some little pea shooter at somebody. Right? It just basically does nothing to them. Uh, that makes sense. And that's important because I, I feel like a lot of people might overlook that. Yeah, yeah. And it it sometimes strikes people as uh, too generous because uh, it is generous. I mean, it, it, it means you could be, you know, you know, a 10th level fighter and you, you take one level in wizard and 
all of a sudden you're suddenly throwing. yeah you're throwing these these potent cantrips mm-hmm. but but that's intentional um, because we the we felt that if we went too far in the other direction uh, you would be so weak that then at that point it would be hard for many people to even want to to multi-class and with the multi-classing wor- rules we're always trying to always trying to strike the balance between making multi-class characters effective without making them too effective. Mm. Uh, and the rules are built so that a multi-class character can sort of keep up with everybody else and will often have an edge when it comes to versatility. Uh, multi-class characters, if they're built well, uh, will often have more options of what to do in a particular round of combat or in a social situation or in an exploration situation. They'll often have more options than a single-class character will have. What the single-class character often has as their edge is greater focus and therefore often just greater raw power. Uh, that's not always true. You can create certain multi-class combos where the multi-class character also has really high damage potential or high healing potential mm-hmm. or just the ability to do crazy magical things uh, because uh, magic also introduces a lot of utility in the game that goes well beyond damage output right. uh, or uh, healing. Uh, but again, the aim of the rules is try to keep them so that their multi-class characters are effective but not eclipsing single-class characters because single-class characters are really the bread and butter of the game and always have been. Right, and I like that you're not penalizing uh, uh, folks who multi-class or even you know multiple times uh, so that they stay with their party. I think that's, that was always the bummer. It was like, oh, man, I'm a great fighter mage thief. Uh, but I'm level two and my party is level six. And that's after a while, that becomes not fun. And the trade-off, it, it doesn't seem to be worth it. Yeah. Now, multi-classing uh, does require some planning and uh, some some pondering of different possibilities. Yeah, because you mentioned there's like bad ways to build. Yes. And there's good ways be- to build. Because the truth with multi-classing is... Not every class combines well with every other class. This is not a sort of grab any piece off the shelf and combine it with any other piece and you're going to end up with something awesome. Mm -hmm. No, you you could combine parts of one class with another and end up with a kind of substandard character. And that's yet another reason why multiclassing is behind the curtain of optional rules. Uh, Basically, it's kind of there's a warning that goes along with multiclassing of – you know, you're, you're going to need to experiment. You're going to want to work with your DM, not only to come up with a story justification for what you're doing, but also experiment a little bit to see if the combination that you've settled on is satisfying. Mm. Uh, and also, people with multiclassing really should plan ahead to see how the different abilities that they're looking for from different classes are going to fall into place over the course of their character's career. I mean, what I recommend is people, like, actually experiment with taking the different levels in different orders. And by experiment, I mean not actually in play, but sort of at home do some thought experiments of, nice, yeah. you know, of you know what, what would be the best order for me to take these levels in? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how many levels ultimately do I want from one class versus another? Uh, because even the order that you take those levels in is going to affect your play experience. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. I mean, one of the – one great example of this is – Ability score improvements are are built into the classes. 
They are not a function of your character level. And so if you, let's say, start off your career and take one or two levels in this class and one or two levels in this other class and one or two levels in another class, you could end up with a situation that you just keep pushing your basic ability score improvements uh, further and further into the future for your character. Oh, because you never got to level, what is it, four? Yeah, yeah, where, yeah where that, that typical level four one where you get to raise an ability score oh, by yeah. two or, or two, two ability scores by one. And that could be done pretty easily by the time you get to level nine. You're like, wait, I don't have... Right, I don't have level four in anything yet, right. and all my yeah, and all the party members have done two uh, ability score adjustments at this point. Yeah, yeah, and and certain ability scores, uh, raising them can be really potent, uh, f- particularly for certain characters. Mm-hmm. And so the person who's multiclassing has to watch out for that. They need to see, you know, are they pushing their ability score improvements too far into the future, uh, particularly yeah. when it comes to things like constitution for you know getting more hit points or dexterity for increasing their armor class and their dex saves, as well as their accuracy with uh, ranged weapon attacks. Uh, You know, there are a lot of consequences for delaying ability score improvements too much. Some characters don't have to worry about it if they were very lucky with their starting uh, ability scores, lucky if they rolled, or if they invested heavily, if they were using a point by ability score system. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes that delay can be okay, uh, but it can end up biting you later uh, if you end up you know, with not as many hit points as maybe you should have or your defenses are, are kind of crap. Um, that could so be there, a problem. So there are a number of things to balance there. And, yeah. and really in that little part, I answered one of the questions that has sometimes come up, and that is, is the ability score improvement a function of your character level or your class level? And it's entirely a function of your level in your individual classes mm. because it, it, is, it is a class that gives you the ability score improvement class feature. There is, there's no rule in the game that says because you're an X level character, suddenly your abilities go up. Right. Um, that, again totally a function of your class. That makes sense. And, that, and, and uh, another thing, I mean, maybe you're going to get to this too, but the idea that skills uh, that you get from a class are only awarded uh, from the first uh, level that you choose. Is that correct? So in the player's handbook, it's a great question. Uh, in the player's handbook, there's a section in the multiclassing rules called proficiencies. Mm-hmm. And it tells you which of the starting proficiencies from each class you get when you enter that class, if it's not your first class. So your first class, you just you, – you build your character the way anyone would build their character. Right. Uh, the class description tells you, you know, what starting proficiencies you have and weapons and armor and skills and whatnot. But as soon as you take your second, your third, your fourth or, you know, whatever it is class, you need to look at the proficiency uh, table in the multiclassing rules and that specifies for you what you get. Um, like let's say you multi-class into rogue, mm-hmm. you don't suddenly get all the skill proficiencies that a rogue normally gets at first level. This, this table tells you you get just one of them uh, along with thieves' tools and proficiency in light armor. Right. Um, and that light armor proficiency is there mostly for somebody who comes in from a class like wizard. Um, they got to at least be able to, to wear the leather armor or not, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But – that, that's another thing that sometimes people don't realize is this table tells you what you get. And if it's not on that table, you're not getting it. Yeah. Uh, now, this table applies 
only to the starting proficiencies that show up at the beginning of each class description. I say that because sometimes a class, as one of its later class features, mm. will give you bonus proficiencies of some kind. Right. If you multi-class into that class, you still get those bonus proficiencies. And if you meet that level, class level requirement yes. to, to get that up, right. Exactly. Yeah, if you, if you reach the level in that class that gives you that bonus proficiency, then you get it, even, right. if, even if you're a multi-class character. But again, it, at the start of each class description, there's that little list that tells you your armor proficiency, skill proficiencies, and whatnot. If you're multi-classing into that class, you only get the things that appear on the, the multi-class proficiencies table in the player's handbook. Which makes sense. And I liked that that, cre- that table itself also creates a lot of choice for uh, someone who's building a uh, uh, a multi-class character, you know, from sometimes when you're like, oh, you need to make a six-level character for, to play in this adventure, and you're building that uh, out. I had one of those where I was trying to create a, uh, a conjuration wizard who was a warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I took the first level in fighter because I, I wanted all those scores and those abilities and then did wizard after that um, so that I could get that ability that's in the conjuration school that allows you to create uh, anything that's, I think, three feet by three feet, mm, mm-hmm. and those were going to be my, my my shield and my and my swords. I would never be unarmed. I could always have those things conjured. And I just thought that was a cool class to, to kind of get around. I'm, I'm sorry, I changed the rules so that the thing breaks as soon as you deal damage with it. <sighs> I know, <laughs> but they can just reconjure it again. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, but the real choice for me there was that I wasn't getting all of the the skills that a wizard would normally get at right. the, at the start of the thing. So I really had a back and forth. Like, do I want to do my wizard level first, or my fighter level, and to me, it made much more sense to have all the proficiencies that a fighter gets at first level, as well as the you know the hit points and the and the ability scores there. Um, but I had to be like, well, he's just not going to be a learned wizard. I mean, that, and that made sense to me. And and so there, you did exactly what I was talking about earlier. You planned ahead, yeah, uh, because the order that you take these classes in makes a big difference. It does. And so right here is an example. Uh, you're only going to get that that big shot of proficiencies from your first class. Right. And all the other ones, you have to look at this table and then plan, okay, which one is the best one to take first? Right. And speaking of planning, and I don't often get to do this, but I get to plug our interview segment uh, that's going to go with this segment. Uh, D&D Beyond is going to make having this planning uh, multiple levels out so much easier and more fun for fans in 5th edition. Uh, and I can't wait for them to roll that out. So we'll Yeah, I, I could imagine many people using D&D Beyond primarily as their their uh, multi-class uh, kit bashing uh, toolkit. Exactly, yeah. and you can plan all this all out and uh, see what works and what doesn't. So I'm looking forward to, to when they rolled out that part of the beta. So, so there are some other other bits. I won't go through every every detail of the multi-class rules. Um, I'll just sort of pause on the ones that trip people up sometimes. Yeah. Uh, another example of the kind of thing you don't get from any of your classes except for your first one is that class is starting equipment. Um, and that was actually something we had to clarify in an errata to the player's handbook that wasn't noted originally. Um, Interesting. You know, People were thinking that they magically just get their stuff right, right. when they learn the new class. And But it's a great example of sometimes as designers, we will 
we will make the mistake of thinking something is so obvious that we forget to say it, but yeah. but rules they have to say even the obvious thing. That's uh, true. And so we, we made sure to add that in uh, to revision uh, to the player's handbook. Okay, so no magical unicorn comes and delivers your uh, saddlebags full of, <laughs> of wizard stuff when you become a wizard. <laughs> right, right. Although that sounds like a great scene. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, one of the other things the rules mention is if you have extra attack from multiple classes, they don't all combine into like Voltroning into, you know, you get all the attacks. Oh, that's an important distinction. Yeah, yeah. People uh, ask that a lot. Uh, yeah, you 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 basically just get the best one that you have, okay. uh, you know, because different extra attack features um, get better at different levels in different classes. Mm-hmm. And so essentially you just use whichever one you have that's the best. Uh, I'm going to skip over some other stuff in the rules to really get at the part that generates the most questions, and that's multi-class spellcasting. Yes. Uh, Probably the thing that throws people more than anything else about multi-class spellcasting is simply that there is a spellcasting rule for multi-class characters that a person needs to be familiar with before they do multi-class spellcasting. I think sometimes people try to just read the spellcasting feature in each of their classes mm-hmm. and then try to cobble them together that way. They must, must, must know the spellcasting rule in the multi-class rules to see how spellcasting functions. The work uh, was done for you by Jeremy to make sure you knew how to do <laughs> right. this. Uh, right. but, because uh, it is because it is a little tricky uh, because multi-class spellcasters don't use their uh, – spell slot progression in their class. Instead, you use the spell slots table in the multi-class rules because this is a place where suddenly your character level matters uh, in your spell casting classes only. Mm. Uh, So here, in a way, we've actually introduced uh, kind of a third level category because there's, you know, character level, class level, And then we don't give it a name, but essentially the rules introduce this stealth third category, which is your spellcaster level. Because the the multi-class rules tell you, add together all your levels in bard, cleric, druid, sorcerer, and wizard, half your levels in paladin and ranger, Mm. and a third of your fighter or rogue levels if you're an eldritch knight or an arcane trickster. (laughs) So all of that stuff gets added together, and that determines essentially your spellcaster level uh, when referring to uh, the multi-class spellcaster table. That tells you your spell slots. Now, it gets trickier, though, because when you determine what spells you know and what spells you can prepare, mm-hmm. then you treat yourself as if you were a single class character in each of your spellcasting classes. So let's of say of your spellcaster <clears throat> level of the new thing you just crafted. No. Okay. No. And this is why it gets tricky. And yeah. this is and this is why understandably people get thrown. Right. So let's say I add together let's say I'm a third level wizard and a third level cleric. For determining my spell slots, I would look at the sixth level line on the multi-class spellcaster table. But when determining what spells I can prepare each day, I prepare my wizard spells as if I was a third level wizard, and I prepare my cleric spells 
as if I was a third level cleric. Uh, okay. So at that point, that that the combination doesn't matter. You are, for the purposes of spell preparation, a single class member of each of your spellcasting classes. Okay. So then what that does is that generates your list of spells you have prepared. But then you can use those spell slots you got from the multi-class spellcaster table Mm -hmm. to cast any of those spells. All right. So one of the reasons why this complexity exists and why we have this multi-class spellcaster table is we were – and this is actually similar to why cantrips scale with character level uh, instead of class level is we wanted to make sure that you would be able to keep up as a multi-class spellcaster in terms of raw damage and healing output mm. because of the slots you have. And what I mean by that is even though, let's say, that that third-level wizard, third-level cleric can only prepare spells as if they were a third-level wizard or third-level cleric, which means they're going to only have first and second level spells. But since they're a sixth level spellcaster, they're going to have third level spell slots. Mm. And people sometimes are wondering, well, why does this table giving me third level spell slots even though I can only prepare first and second level spells? Well, that's because you can add spell levels to damage or, or things like that so that you can feel like you're Exactly. Part of, you know, uh, yeah. Because many, many healing and damage spells in fifth can be what we call it upgunning. They can be upgunned by using a higher level spell slot. Yeah. So even though you know those lower level spells, you can make them more powerful because of your combined spellcaster levels. So this, this table doesn't doesn't cause the uh, suddenly the third level cleric, third level wizard to be able to cast uh, or rather you know learn and prepare third level spells, but it does let them cast some of their first and second level spells as third level spells. Right, and that uh, uh, you, so it basically is you're, you're you're cutting down perhaps the versatility that a single. Uh, 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 class spellcaster might have, you know, you have, but you can able to pump up your spells that, you know, are the bread and butter of that class that are first or second level and, and do damage that's equal to, or, you know, about the same time as the rest of the party. Yeah. And your, your damage will often be the same. Uh, if this is assuming all of your classes are spellcasting classes, right? Uh, you will be behind if, let's say you have some fighter levels in there. Or, right. Or, or, right. But that's a choice you've made. Right. Um, and rarely a person is going to make that choice if their goal is to um, sort of stay neck and neck with everyone when it comes to spell damage or, you know, amount of healing. Yeah. Usually a person who, you know, let's say is a, you know, a 10th level fighter and their subclass is a battle master, if they've decided to take some levels in a class like wizard or sorcerer, it's usually because they're going for some of the utility magic that's there, right. not because they now want to turn to spellcasting as the main source of uh, their damage output, unless that transformation is motivated by a story transformation mm. you know, where they've, 
they've now decided to dedicate themselves to this whole new path in their life, which can be a really interesting turn uh, in a in a character's uh, career. But I also like that that allows there to be like one big nuke or one big bomb that a, that a, that a spellcaster like that can do. That can, oh, I'm going to pump this up as money you know to the highest spell slot that I possibly have available to me right now for the one big encounter-changing spell. Exactly, exactly. And uh, even though their their levels in their individual classes limit them uh, when it comes to the spells they can prepare, mm-hmm. they still have tremendous amount of versatility. Because if we go back to that third-level wizard, third-level cleric, that character, you know, even though they're a sixth-level character, they're only able to prepare up to second-level spells but they have access to now the spell lists of two classes. Right, which is a and, huge boon. And on top of that, have the other class features from those two classes uh, for those three levels. Uh, so that means, you know, as a you know, third-level cleric, third-level wizard, that means on top of your versatility as a spellcaster, you also have whatever feature you got from uh, the arcane tradition you picked in the wizard mm-hmm. and whatever you're getting from your divine domain in the cleric. And the combination of those things, especially uh, if you choose well and you, ha- and you chose a, a really good sequence of when you took those levels, that can be a very powerful character. Yeah. Um, and But more importantly, it can be a really fun and interesting character. And, yeah. and, and I think... I think multiclassing is often the most satisfying when it creates uh, really wonderfully surprising characters and brings interesting character concepts to life. I always thought, I mean, I immediately thought of like a cleric of Ogma who then has, you know, wizard spells or anything in the knowledge domain, right. you know, yeah. then being able to, to, to have that mesh of, of things makes the most sense. And then even developing a, a, a new deity or a new church that it, it makes their clerics uh, uh, multi-class in mm-hmm. such a way is, is very interesting to me already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can, I mean, I could, I can imagine many different character concepts that are just riffing on the idea of priests of different gods who maybe only have a few levels in cleric and then lo- all their other levels are in a class that is appropriate to whatever that god represents. Right, makes uh, sense. And, and I think over the years, many multi-class characters have actually been in service to those sorts of character concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're definitely chosen or, 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 or more powerful or, you know, <laughs> they're, you know, the, the object of some prophecy, which mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is a common trope for many characters. So that makes a lot of sense for them to have that power. Yeah, yeah. So, so to recap on that point, and, and um, I just want to hit it again because it does, it does throw people sometimes that when a, when a multi-class spellcaster goes to see what spells do I know and can prepare – when you're, when you're asking yourself that question, looking at your character, the answer is that you treat, as you go to each of your spellcaster's classes, you treat your character as if, as you're picking your spells for each of those classes, that is your only class. So, you know, that wizard cleric, when picking wizard spells, you just pretend, all right, I'm only a third-level wizard. Right. And then when you go to the cleric, I'm only a third-level cleric. And then once you've done that exercise and it's time to get your spell slots, well, but now I'm a six-level character and I get the spell slots that the multi-class spellcaster table gives me. Uh, and then I can, you know, I can let, let it rip with my magic because I can now make those lower-level spells more powerful. Awesome. 
Well, the way you explain it right there, that makes it seem so easy. <laughs> why are there no que- why are there so many questions? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, now, another question we get that's very specific to the wizard is uh, sometimes when a person multi-classes uh, with wizard, they're wondering then what spells can they put in their spell book? Uh, first off, a spell book, a wizard spell book can, is uh, meant to contain only wizard spells. And then second of all, it is meant to only prepare, only to contain wizard spells that you are capable of preparing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was another thing we clarified actually in later printings of the player's handbook. That Because I believe earlier printings of the player's handbook uh, said uh, you could only put spells in your spell book uh, if you had spell slots for those spells which was fine for the wizard as a single-class character, but Not that wording doesn't work well with the multi-class rules, so we changed it uh, to be more precise and say spells that you can prepare as a wizard. Right. Uh, and so just like with the spells known and uh, spells that you can prepare rule for the wizard, uh, you treat yourself like a single-class wizard when you're figuring out what you can put into your spell book. Right, and that's because there's specific class features that have to do with uh, spells that are in your spell book versus other things, right? So it's, it's, right. it's an important distinction because right. of that. Right. Well, and wizards are also unusual among our classes in that the spells they know are in the spell book. Like the, the, the spell book is, is basically a record of the spells they know. This is in contrast to, say, like a sorcerer who just knows innately, innately knows all of their, their spells. Yeah. Um, or, you know, clerics and, and druids have access to their entire class's spell list, and every day they can change what spells they have prepared. So each class has a kind of different take on what it means to know a spell. Do you even, you know, prepare spells? Um, you know, because in the case of clerics, wizards, and druids, the answer to do you prepare spells is yes. But if you're, say, a sorcerer, uh, you don't prepare spells. You just, you just know a much smaller amount. You know them, but you always have them at the ready. Yeah. And and so some classes are much more about versatility in that regard uh, in a, than other classes are. And a, and a lot of what people probably attempt to do with multi-classing with these different spell casters is to try to ameliorate some of those changes so that it feels like, oh, I'm, I'm super powerful. But the way that it's explained uh, uh, in that section and in that table tries to make sure that there's some at least some order to that to that kind of chaos yeah yeah um but yeah you have you do need to sort of you know tread uh with your eyes open uh when when you make a a multi-class spellcaster one other thing i'll mention is warlocks uh they're special because the warlocks do not have the spellcasting feature instead they have the packed magic feature packed magic spell slots are treated separately from your spellcasting spell slots. Mm-hmm. So if you're a warlock and multi-class with another spellcasting class, uh, at that point even your spell slots are two entirely separate buckets. Uh, I see. And and so you, uh, if you mix warlock with anything else that can also cast spells with spell slots, your other classes can use your packed magic spell slots. Oh, Really? Yes. What, what was the intent behind that? It's, again, uh, to make it so that the multi-class spellcasters wouldn't fall behind in terms of raw damage output and okay. healing potential. Um, are they still two separate buckets, or can you like the slots mix are, and match? Uh, 
The slots are separate buckets um, simply because the pack, pack magic slots have a different mechanism for when you get them back right. versus spellcasting slots. But you can use the pack magic slots for non-warlock spells that you know that if you if it's a spell you can normally cast with a spell slot and you have pack magic, right. you can use your pack magic slot to cast it. Can you use a first level spell slot from your from wizard say, and then add, you know, a second level warlock pack magic spell slot to make it a total of a third level slot? Can <laughs> no, you make, no, you can't add them together. Okay, but you could use your you could use your uh, second level pack magic slot, for example, uh, to cast one of your wizard spells. And it could, even if it's a first-level spell, then it would be cast at a second-level slot and get all the benefits therein. Yes, yeah, okay. if, if it's a spell that gets better when you cast it at a higher-level slot. Okay, well, that's good to bring up because I'm sure there was, there's a lot of questions that go back and forth on that, but it's interesting that you can essentially have two buckets happening at the same time. And my apologies to the people, <laughs> to Adam Bradford building D&D Beyond to have to code that <laughs> uh, special <laughs> bit of multi-classing into it. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be fun. And, and a lot of this... Uh, Multiclassing sort of taps into the infrastructure of uh, the system. And a, a lot of this complexity having to do with spell slots is because spell slots in some ways are a vehicle for um, numerical output in mm. the game. Um, and in in a single class character, we're able to use spell slots both to give you that raw output and also create the schedule that you follow for learning higher-level spells. We're able to combine the two into uh, a, a unified uh, sort of process. Um, with multiclassing, though, we needed to separate the two, and that's why you then have this division where, you know, when it comes to learning your spells, you look at your classes individually, but when it comes to the raw power that fuels your spells, that's based on your spellcaster level. Interesting. Uh, okay. Because, because again, we did not want your output to become so abysmal that you would never want to be a multi-class spellcaster. Uh, now, your output is still going to be abysmal if, you know, again, I talked about if you're a 10th level fighter and you have one level in in Warlock, for instance. Yeah. Um, because if if those ten levels in fighter are not eldritch knight, uh, you know, if there's no spell casting on the fighter side. Then you're a not only are you a first level warlock, but you're a first level spellcaster. Um, and at that point, you don't even use the multi class uh, spellcasting rules. You only uh, use the multi class spellcasting rules uh, when you have more than one class that's a spellcasting class. If, if you only have one, then you just follow the rules in your class. As per normal, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it, uh, it's when suddenly you, you're Voltroning <laughs> in one spellcasting class with another, uh, time, to, time to go to uh, these multi-class spellcasting rules. And, well, and you know, just based on the amount of spellcasting classes there are versus non-spellcasting classes, let's, let's face it, most of the multi-class characters out there will have, you know, two... Uh, uh, especially if there's if you include arcane tricksters and eldritch knights is in there, there's 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 quite a few. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the major reasons why people do multi classes to get some of those things. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, cool. Well, I think I feel like I've I've, I've got a much better uh, understanding about how to, how to build a multi-class character. And again, I think people are going to have a lot of fun experimenting with uh, uh, with these once they get uh, uh, the ca- the character builder from D and D Beyond. Um, do, was there anything else over multi-classing that you think we wanted to cover? Uh, gosh, There's, there there are all sorts of like th- like little details we could hop into. You know, right. the, mul- the multi-class rules, for example, specify that if you have more than one class, that gives you the unarmored defense feature. You only uh, get that feature from one of them. Uh, you know, there are a, a variety of things like that. There's also a rule, I won't go into the details of it, but if you have multiple classes with the channel divinity feature, mm. uh, the multi-class rules tell you what to do uh, in that case. Uh, the bottom line is if a person is multi-classing, they really do need to dive into uh, what's really just two pages of rules on multi-classing uh, to make sure uh, they're building their character uh the way the the way the system expects that character to be built. Awesome. And if you have any uh, specific questions about how to build your character, how can they get you on uh, on Twitter? <laughs> um, uh, all, they can always reach me at Jeremy uh, E Crawford on Twitter. Um, although I'm I'm generally not inclined to give <laughs> character building <laughs> advice. Why not? That seems like a perfectly good use of your time. <laughs> I mean. Part of it is like I'm I'm always happy when when I have time to answer questions about the rules, but when it comes to building a character, that, that uh, there there's rarely a right or a wrong way to do it, uh, because uh, for me, the most important question is always you know what's the story you're trying to tell with this character, and does this character please you? Are you having a good time with it? Yeah. Uh, if the answer is yes, well then your character is great, even if you have terrible ability scores and, and your character has been built suboptimally. Um, Some of those are the most fun characters I've ever played. Yeah. The ones that like made no sense on paper and they're like, this doesn't make, you know, yeah. a min-maxer would be like cringing and gouging out their eyes. <laughs> and right. Whereas me, I'm like, oh, this was great. It was fun. I, I played an idiot and I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's why I always like to make a distinction between um, a character being good and enjoyable versus a character being uh, optimal or suboptimal in, in terms of game mechanics. Um, and I think it's, it's very easy for those of us who are kind of hardcore gamers. And I mean, I'm definitely a hardcore gamer given not only how much D&D I DM, uh, but also all the other games I play. Yeah. Uh, very easy sometimes to forget that good and fun is not the same in many cases as optimal when it comes to you know all right i've you know i've got my numbers exactly right but sometimes that's not the most fun yeah uh, sometimes it is i mean i'm i'm not saying you know the optimal can't also be uh, be fun but uh, and have a good story background yeah. and 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 have all those things right? yeah i mean you can often have your cake and eat it too uh, but i it's, i often like to remind people that uh, they don't need to feel bad if, you know, they discover their character is suboptimal in some way in terms of how they've constructed it. Uh, because if if they've been having a great time, you know, if their character makes them smile, uh, if they love the story that has been unfolding because of playing that character, then as far as I'm concerned, that character is a success. And, uh, you know, really kind of squeaking out every, every benefit mm-hmm. uh, that can be a fun mini game in itself, but is really not uh, the heart of D&D. Uh, the heart is the story uh, and 
the laughs and, and all of that that we have together at the game table, right. uh, which is, at the end of the day, a co-op game. So even then, it's really about what is each character bringing to the table to contribute to the group's success, not so much you know, how, how great is this character on their own. Right. Uh, and I bring all of this up in the context of talking about multiclassing in particular, precisely because multiclassing so often is where people turn to try to squeeze out every benefit, uh, to try to uh, snag every bit of power, which again can be an awesome mini game on its own. But I think it's important for those of us who, you know, are who feel the allure of that <laughs> mini game to just always remember that's not the heart of the game overall. Right. The heart of the game overall is when we're together at the table and and especially as players playing as a team uh, and then as the DM, as the, the facilitator of the story yeah. that, that's unfolding as yeah. a group. And I think that makes sense. And I think people uh, – uh, I was always one of those players that uh, did all of that – you know, uh, optimizing when I was away from the table, mm-hmm. you know, so that was a fun thing for me to interact with my character and, or, you know, try different ideas of what feats I should get. And, you know, that was always fun when I was thinking about playing Dungeons and Dragons. But when I was at the table, I was always just like, well, this is my character. I'm not going to worry about that now and just have fun at the table. So I think for many people, and maybe that's when people uh, are, are more apt to message you on Twitter is when they're doing that other part of the game, which yep. is, you know, oh, how can I think about this and have fun with it when I'm not at the table? So yeah, absolutely. I, I, that too. I, I think often I'm being tweeted when when uh, people are playing uh, that fun mini game at home. Yeah, or uh, at work. Or at work. <laughs> yes. Given, <laughs> given, uh, given the hours. The, yeah, the, the hours when I receive most of the questions, I have a feeling people are doing a lot of their D&D thinking while they're at their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and pinging you during your work hours. Always um, good. Uh, one one last thing I'll say, because you did mention feats. Yeah. Uh, something that uh, players have rightly noticed is there are a number of things that feats offer in 5th edition that you can also get through multiclassing. Mm. Uh, for instance, there's a feat um, called Magic Initiate uh, that lets you learn a few spells. Well, you could also take a level in a spellcasting class to learn some spells. Because feats and multiclassing are both optional rules, we designed both of them assuming that you could have a table where one of those optional rules is used and the other one isn't. Mm. And so there, there is purposefully some overlap between feats and multiclassing uh, because sometimes a person who might want to do some tinkering doesn't want to go all the way with multiclassing and they just want like a little taste of something else. And that's often what feats are for. Right. Uh, feats can kind of be multi-classing light. Um, on top of feats also introduce a number of other exceptional abilities to the game that you don't get elsewhere. And we could really do you know, a different talk about feats. Um, but I like to point out that you know, sometimes when people see, oh, it looks like I could p- do very similar things with feats and multi-classing, well, that's on purpose. Right. Uh, because again... Uh, you might be at a table where one is used and the other one isn't. And I've seen you mention that a lot on, on, on Twitter, especially as the uh, uh, Unearthed Arcana relating to racial feats came out. Yes. And mm-hmm. it seems like that was a lot of the response, uh, uh, which I, I'm enjoying the response to all those too. So perhaps we'll do uh, one of these segments on uh, uh, some of those as we, get, as we go forward over the summer. Well, and, and the design philosophy uh, that has fueled a lot of this work, not only on multi-classing and feats, but even in our class design and also our race design, is we want to make sure 
uh, as often as possible, there are multiple paths that people can take to get to kind of their happy fun land that they're <laughs> that they're aiming for with with the character that they're building. Yeah, uh, and so that's why when like you look also at backgrounds. There are actually a variety of paths that will get you to similar destinations, and that's on purpose. Um, because sometimes what people might want mechanically, like two players, they might actually want something very similar mechanically, but the story that they want mm. uh, surrounding that mechanic might be different. And so that's why you can sometimes get very similar things in the paladin and the fighter, but the feel of it is different. Yeah. Um, and, and again, we... We come at that a variety of ways in the design of giving you, again, multiple paths uh, to sometimes wildly different destinations, but also sometimes to very similar ones um, so that you can you basically can choose uh, the fun you're going to have with your character. Nice. I want to take a train to Happy Fun Land. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy, for joining me. Uh, hopefully we cleared up a lot of your questions about multi-classing, uh, multi and uh, uh, feel free to reach out to, uh, to me or Jeremy if, uh, if you have ideas for, for subsequent uh, topics for, for Sage Advice going forward. All right. It's been fun as always. Thanks. See what I'm talking about though with Jeremy? Like there's so it's so dense. We talked about so much stuff. It was Gosh. impossible. We didn't even know what time was passing. I was in like an clearly, infinite time loop. Yeah. Clearly. And there's so much more. I even think I tried to wrap it up at one point. I was like, but we have more to talk about. And there was. There was more very much interesting stuff to talk about. My God. Yeah. All right. Well, everything you ever needed to know about multi-class. In one place. But please don't stop listening because there's a really good interview coming up. What's coming up next? An interview with Curse Media. That Shelly did a lot. Leah and Adam. Sheila, Shelly did a lot of research. I'm for her. kind of excited about the new tool set. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. You're gonna make nonstop characters, and I can't wait for uh, you guys to listen to this interview with Leah and Adam from Curse Media. <laughs> hey, everybody. Hey. Hello. Good. How uh, are you? Pretty good. Can you guys hear us okay? Is the audio all right on our side? Not that I would know how to fix it. Thumbs but. up. Yeah. Ryan says thumbs up. Thumbs up. Yeah. And do you guys know Shelly? Awesome. No. Shelly. Hi, guys. This is them. Hi, them. <laughs> Hello, Shelly. Super Shelley. excited <laughs> to talk to you. Uh, yeah, she said she did research, so I can't wait to see all the I've research been, that's yes. going to blow yeah, up on us. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I also heard that um, we had a question here about what Shelly does. And Whoa. I said, well, she definitely co-hosts Dragon Talk. <laughs> that, that's, I'm not that's exactly what sure what else. That's her number one job description. <laughs> that, according to Greg Tito, it, it is. Should because be. God forbid I have a meeting or anyway, something. This is all gold. So I want to get this. Like, Let's just start it. And then we'll we get right into it. what I'm do in. you do. You're I, in it? You're I, in I it have, to win it? I'm never not. Welcome to Dragon <laughs> Talk, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that uh, uh, Leah Coons and Adam Bradford from Curse could uh, join us. Me too. Well, we to are here. as well. Sweet. We're going to talk uh, about uh, D&D Beyond, which you guys are developing. But I think Shelly had some very oh, important pointed questions. They're d I'm not. No, let's just <laughs> get into it. They'll come up naturally. Okay, we'll do that then. Yeah. So, uh, Adam, why don't you tell us exactly <laughs> what D&D Beyond is for those people who may not uh, be, you know, uh, been living under a rock or in the Underdark and don't know what it is yet. Right. So for uh, the denizens of the Underdark, D&D <laughs> uh, Beyond is 
an official digital tool set for the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, what that uh, you know soundbite right there means is that we are working on digital tools that are going to help people play the game. They're going to enhance gameplay around the table, uh, whether that's uh, virtual or sitting across from each other. And um, ultimately, uh, all of the tools themselves are aimed at you know saving time, uh, making it where you don't have to thumb through every single book uh, to find exactly how to grapple a creature or how to shove a creature or any of those other rules that uh, are wonderfully simple in 5th edition, but we still have trouble finding sometimes. So mm -hmm. uh, D&D Beyond is really focused on eliminating uh, any of that that pain and, and trying to automate as much of the process as we, we can. Uh, and then, of course, we are also uh, trying to help people manage their characters. Uh, if you've ever, uh, you know, created a character for Dungeons & Dragons, you realize that uh, that process can be very lengthy. I recently did this for a group of uh, six 12-year-olds, and oh, I wow. think that an entire process took about four hours. Whoa. <laughs> and, doing it pen and, and paper, you mean? Yeah, yeah, doing it pen and paper. Um, and, and so uh, creating characters, especially for new players, uh, is really a challenge. And D&D uh, &D Beyond is, you know, making that character builder it is providing a character sheet that uh, you know people can use to play that character around the table, and uh, you know even if they're on their lunch break and they want to you know just take a peek at their character, they can see that very easily uh, right on their phone. Um, so uh, you know that's what D and D Beyond is trying to do is trying to enhance gameplay and uh, make Dungeons and Dragons really focused on what makes it such a great game in the first place, and that is you know that interaction with. Uh, other players and uh, with the DM and, you know, telling that interactive story. I love that. Mm -hmm. I, uh, as someone who can take four hours to create a character, I really am excited about this character builder. Now, can you, I saw that there were, there's going to be options for new character or new players and then more advanced options. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we will have, you know, from from day one, we've been talking about game accessibility as uh, an extremely important thing to us. So that uh, is going to apply on the technology side. So we want you to be able to access D&D Beyond, whether it's, you know, on your, your PC, Mac, uh, on your phone, tablet, uh, you know, anywhere that you can get to a web browser. And then, of course, we also do have mobile uh, app uh, plans as well uh, in the pipeline, but um, you know anywhere that you can possibly uh, access this, we want you to be able to access it. But then the other side of that is you know player experience, and so that accessibility comes into you know if you're a beginner, we want to make sure that we hold your hand appropriately uh, to where you can you know actually know what's going on uh, with that character, and you know which choices you need to make at what time. Uh, so, you know, we'll have a step-by-step -step version of this character builder uh, that, that's going to really, uh, you know, walk you through that with uh, ample help text and, and everything else you'd be looking for out of that experience. And then uh, for the advanced players, uh, you know, I've been playing 20 plus years at this point. Uh, I might not want to read every paragraph of <laughs> everything that would be in the beginner section. So. Uh, you can go right into an advanced, uh, you know, way for making that character that is is much more linear. It's just going to take you uh, exactly to to what you need to be, um, and and you can you know provide those inputs for um, for that character there. 
That's very cool. Mm-hmm. And there's like a whole like uh, community side to this as well, too. Uh, uh, Leah, yeah, can you speak a little bit about that and what uh, uh, Chris brings to the table for, for D&D Beyond? Yeah, for sure. And also just to, as just a quick touch point on what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, on the new player versus, you know, total expert. I am a, mm-hmm. I'm a newer player to Dungeons and Dragons and I'm super excited. Um, Adam had a very sneaky, uh, uh, long con and he's like well let's just get some of the some of the team some of the company to play Dungeons and Dragons just see if it's something the company might want to do and now bless his soul he ran like a one-off for like 20 people last week like we've got three D&D sessions in the office like it's um, but as someone that's newer um, the very natural process for them is you know but I'm just sitting there like okay what do I I'm that annoying one that's like okay what do I roll like how do I (laughs) what am I doing Um, but having something like the character builder is um, I'm finding making it the barrier to entry so much lower for me. So it's way easier for me to say, oh, okay, now I really can play, I really can play Dungeons and Dragons because as you guys know, there is a there is a steep learning curve. So I'm excited um, as kind of a newbie to be able to make it easier for people that have always wanted to play but are kind of confused on the like, what does SL mean D1025? Like right, right. I have to upgrade what? Um, it makes that process so much easier, and I'm really excited about that. But back to the original question you asked. Curse has been around for, for years and years. If anybody plays World of Warcraft or any of those hardcore PC games, um, you know we've been in that space for a really long time, but Curse's bread and butter has always been community. Um, that's what we've been built on. That's what we thrive on. So um, we're really excited to be able to bring our prowess on being able to build a tool set, being able to build things that will help um, players enjoy the game, make that play experience better, but also, you know, provide a community where a lot of people that play Dungeons and Dragons can get together and talk about everything from D&D to whatever out of hand is cooking in the kitchen to whatever they feel like they want to. And uh, so Curse is very comfortable in this space. This is definitely our wheelhouse. Nice. That's yeah. cool. And I saw that there's uh, going to be something for people's homebrew campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. What's that so, all about? Yeah. So we've got um, we've got campaign management that is coming in phase three of our beta, um, and as part of that, we're going to introduce this concept of allowing a dungeon master to create a campaign, invite other players to that campaign in a, a very simple way. They uh, share a campaign uh, URL, and you know someone uh, clicks on that. They can accept the invite. Once they are in that campaign, uh, that allows the dungeon master and players to uh, you know share a great uh, many things. And you know one of those things is if the dungeon master has created homebrew content, uh, custom content on the site, uh, which you know that's also coming as part of uh, that third phase of the beta. Um, if they have created that then the DM can share that freely with the players in that campaign, as well as, um, you know, in the most recent issue of Dragon Plus, we did talk about some of the uh, subscription plans. And part of that is also any content that a dungeon master has unlocked. If they have a master tier subscription, that is also shareable across that campaign for any content that they have unlocked. 
so once you create that custom content, you can utilize that uh, freely within the builder, uh, within the character sheet, and uh, you know you can make your uh, dungeon master create that custom content where you don't have to do all that typing yourself because that's what we love to do is make life difficult. <laughs> DMs, not. <laughs> so when you say custom content, does that mean like uh, maps or artwork or like new spells, new monsters? What, what exactly do you mean there? So for homebrew content, uh, we definitely have, uh, you know, plans that extend for, you know, possible years here uh, with what mm -hmm. we could do. But um, what is going to be available right out of the gate is you will be able to create uh, a custom spell. So if you want a frost ball instead of a fireball, you can... Uh, the sensible thing to do maybe would be to start with a fireball. Uh, you can kind of create a copy of that spell. You'll be able to then rename that spell, uh, change any of the modifiers that would go on with that spell. Uh, you'll be able to provide uh, what we call metadata, uh, which is another uh, part of uh, the listing portions of D&D Beyond uh, that have been really powerful uh, so far and the community has really responded to. Uh, you know, you can go in there and see any spell that uh, requires a charisma saving throw. So if right. you wanted the frost ball, instead of requiring it uh, a dexterity saving throw like a fireball, if you want that to require a constitution saving throw, which is typical for more ice-based spells, uh, you could, you know, change that for that, that custom spell that you've created. Uh, you could provide that metadata. It would show up in a listing like the other uh, spells that you currently see on DDB. And uh, you could also use that within the builder um, and, you know, throughout the site. So you'll be able to do that for spells, uh, magic items, and monsters right out of the gate. Um, and you'll also be able to do that for, um, you know, subclasses, uh, subraces. Uh, we will be adding, you know, all of those types of content over time. Oh, my God, that's so cool. I know. I love that this is, like, combining, like, so many different parts of my fandom over the last like 15 years like the <laughs> idea that I mean because I was a big user of curse you know back in the early days of, of wow uh, downloading add-ons from the site and and, and doing all that and the, all the talent uh, calculators and stuff and then some of what you're talking about reminds me of um, what a different service obsidian portal used to do as far as combining oh, yeah. having people have like yep. a campaign page uh, to be able to go to and, and some of that you know it seems like some of that functionality is being uh, uh, folded into this as well as just the idea of being able to have like on your phone your character you know oh I forgot my printed out sheet I don't have it with me but it doesn't matter because everybody's got their phones with me and I can always have that 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 information there as long as I you can, can log into curse play D&D whenever exactly the drop of that I also like that you call it DDB like that's yeah. shorthand we like the acronyms yeah. we do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's definitely uh, taken root so uh, DDB is, is kind of the official acronym at this point so uh, with the homebrew stuff can you view like other people's campaigns or is it just for the people who are invited like if you know can I search and see what kind of weird ass spells Greg's coming up with or so part uh, of his campaign. So you definitely, uh, you know, for anything that Greg creates, uh, so if he created the Frostball spell, um, you know, hopefully Greg could be a little more creative than that. But if he couldn't <laughs> that's, be. That's like uh, his limit. I, I also just yeah. want to <laughs> congratulate all of us for not making the obvious Frostball joke. Just throwing, yeah. throwing that out there. Good job, yeah, Shelly Leo. I didn't even, didn't even yeah. cross my mind. <laughs> I, don't, I still don't get we it. That's a bold-faced lie. I still don't get it. Exactly. <laughs> so if Greg creates that frostball, um, then um, you actually, you know, if he has that as something that he has marked as private homebrew mm. content. So 
you know, this is something that he's not necessarily wanting to share with the public. I um, wouldn't share then, that with the public. <laughs> Here's my fastball, yeah. you guys. <laughs> I have two, just in case you don't like oh, the first one. Keep those. <laughs> keep those private. Yeah. So, uh, so if, if you keep that private, though, uh, you're going to be able to uh, share that within the campaign only. So that's a way for someone that you know doesn't want to share that publicly. They can uh, simply uh, you know share that with the players inside their campaign. Uh, there will also be some other toggles uh, within that. You know, a, a campaign can say that we don't allow any homebrew content. You know, for instance, but uh, you can share that private homebrew content from the DM within the campaign. But then if you want to be someone in the community that is, you know, contributing to other players in the community, you can absolutely go in and create, uh, you know, again, something more uh, creative than a frostball, maybe. Uh, and you're going to put that up uh, as, you know, public. Uh, it's going to go to a moderation queue that we have on our end just to make sure that, you know, it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's meeting the standards that we would uh, hopefully expect for a spell in that case. Um, and then that is, you know, approved and released to the public. And if uh, so, you know, Shelly, you could browse that listing of all of those homebrew spells like you're looking at a catalog and you can find the ones that you like. You can then add them to your homebrew collection, which is similar to, uh, you know, adding something to your Google Drive. Um, so, so you're adding that to your homebrew collection. You can then use anything that you've added to that collection inside the character builder and the character sheet uh, and any tools that we produce in the future. Okay. So I know earlier you guys asked, what does Shelly do? And that's going to become totally irrelevant because what I'm going to do is spend all day making spells. <laughs> that's all I want to do now. That's good. I'm we like that. I'm fine with that. That sounds great. You're going to be moderating all day. Yeah. Every day. Oh, there we go again. What's what's the first spell you're going to make? Frost balls. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that ha that has a different connotation when you say frost balls on it. Is that with like, a Z? There's on a. My <laughs> That sounds like a bard spell that's going to be like, all right, I cast frost balls on uh, on the audience. You'll see. You'll yeah. see. I'm sure that will make it just fine through moderation. I don't think it's going to pass muster. Can we have like a special hashtag that's like Shelly just to make sure it passes moderation? <laughs> yeah, just so you know, it's one of mine. <laughs> we'll, we'll just make Shelly a moderator. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. that's a smart thing. Yeah. There you go. Because she has neat stuff to do. So. Yeah. I don't have any, I mean, when we're not co-hosting this show, I don't have anything to do. <laughs> So, yeah. But you have all these meetings that work. we have to work around. I don't understand. <laughs> My meetings. Meetings is like spell creation meetings. Yep. Uh, you can find me at Nordstrom Rap. Yeah. From two to five. Well, you, I mean, we were mentioning hashtags and the, and the metadata stuff. Like, I, 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 so far with the, the phase that's available to, to beta testers now, um, that has been the biggest response I've seen uh, with people on the Twitters is like the idea that the ability to be able to search for spells with that metadata has you know, already been a huge boon for, for people and fans. And is it true, Adam, that you collated a lot of that metadata yourself? Oh, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, they locked me in the basement here. And, uh, You've been very and gracious I, in letting him out today. This is yeah, two-hour no, allotment. It, I think we should be thanking you, Leah, for that. It was many hours. Um, I, I'm not going to lie about that part. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, went through all the spells. Uh, you know, we've gotten, I think, every spell that, that currently exists in the game uh, completed at this point. But, nice. um, but yeah, so it, it's just a, an exercise of, you know, hey, this fireball or this frostball, um, 
you know, requires a uh, constitution saving throw. Let's, you know, mark this and, and make it, you know, part of the data itself where going forward, we can, you know, do a lot of really, really handy things with that. Everything that we are laying the groundwork for now uh, is really marching toward, you know, a, a great deal of automation in the future. Uh, the, the next, you know, major roadmap uh, items that we're going to be tackling uh, you know, after we launch with what we talked about for the three phases of beta is we'll go right into a, you know, monster builder, an encounter builder that kind of goes along with that. Uh, once we have, you know, everything for the player character side uh, that we'll be launching with, and then we have everything for the uh, enemy side with monster builders and encounter builders, we'll then put all those elements together into, you know, combat tracking, initiative tracking, and at that point, all of that metadata is going to really pay off. Um, so, you know, we'll be able to do things like, uh, you know, a, a PC targets a, uh, you know, group of kobolds with a, a fireball and they, you know, target those within that combat tracker. It could, uh, you know, if the player desired to, it could roll that automatically for them and, and you know, uh, say the results of that. We're going to have it to where it can prompt uh, the, the user for input. So, you know, if you want your players to roll those, um, you know, saving throws when it's applicable, uh, they could do that at that point. And, uh, you know, then just essentially say whether they passed or failed that save. Uh, it's going to do all of that math. And the reason that we're laying that groundwork now is because we have those big plans for down the road and we want to make sure that, you know, that data is available for us. Very cool. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and just having stuff like, uh, uh, even we, we were talking mostly about spells, but magic items too, being able yeah. to be like, all right, we have this, you know, I'm looking for a, something that I can wear as a belt that uh, uh, affects my health, you know, and things, you know, your, your metadata allows everybody to search for that way easier. Um, I love it. It's been a super great tool. And like the beta testers have been like crazy. Can we say how many beta testers we have? And they're like, in the hundreds of thousands of beta no. testers? Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I think as far as active accounts, uh, you know, that, that we actually have on the site, we've definitely crossed a hundred thousand at this point. Uh, oh so my we're, God. that's yeah, amazing. We're, we're yeah. really happy with, uh, you know, the, the results that we've had so far. And, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, we're, we're a okay with, you know, talking about this, unfortunately, phase one of the beta, uh, we've kind of known all along that it was, um, you know, kind of the 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 homely, uh, you know, uh, the homely date or whatever, you know, that, that people would necessarily <laughs> with a be... good personality, yeah, exactly, and with a lot of metadata, super funny, a lot of metadata to the relationship. I feel like that's really undervalued, and that's what really lasts. Now, come on, yeah, it's true. <laughs> We knew that people wouldn't be as excited about what's going on right now. The thing that uh, you know, I'd love to, to tell people here on Dragon Talk is that everything that's happening in this uh, first phase is um, just extremely crucial uh, to everything that comes after this. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so we're you know really grateful for all the the help that has already happened here. We're laying a very firm foundation. Uh, and you know once we know that once we get a character builder uh, and a character sheet oh, in yeah. people's hands with the second phase that, uh, you know, those numbers will go up. People will be really uh, interested in, in what happens there. So uh, we're really, you know, looking forward uh, to, to that happening. We keep getting asked before you guys prompt me, so, <laughs> you know, when that's going to happen. So when is that, that going to happen? Yeah, that yeah. was one of my questions. <laughs> it's part of my research. Ask me, Greg. Um, so, um, so no, uh, we have said and we definitely stand by the fact that we will be launching this summer. 
you know, so so there's no question that uh, it, it, you know, we're not talking months and months here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're talking in terms of weeks at this point. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. I have no idea when this will actually air. So uh, we'll, we'll see when that happens. We're thinking uh, the uh, this Thursday, actually. So uh, uh, what is that, May 6th? So yeah. we will not be in phase two quite yet, <laughs> but it won't be too much longer after that. Ooh, okay. I like that. I like that answer. Really? Yeah. It's the old blizzard, you know, soon. Soon TM. <laughs> <laughs> very familiar with that, yes. Yeah, it's exactly. So, oh, sorry, Greg. No, go ahead. Part of my research. Can I go back to the character uh, create, the character creator? Because I'm really excited about that. So we are going to create characters, and it's just going to feed right into a character sheet that I just have? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, the idea behind this kind of originated, you know, we knew we would be doing a character builder from the time that I uh, pitched this internally. Uh, you know, Leah talked about the, uh, you know, stealthy tactic, uh, tactics that I was using to getting people to play. Get, yeah, get, get the company to, to, you know, really pay attention to this. But, uh, you know, from the early days, I knew that a pretty major gap uh, that, uh, you know, had not really been filled um, you know, in a satisfactory way in the community was a, a character builder, uh, especially that could, uh, you know, incorporate uh, the official material from Wizards of the Coast. So, uh, you know, we started marching down that road very, very early. Um, and from that, you know, people started to say within our game, you know, what if we could also use this just right on our phone uh, in, in order to play the game itself. And, you know, I was a little bit skeptical, to be honest, at, at first, because, you know, I had seen some attempts at this in the past. Um, and, you know, it, it's a lot of information. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of it, um, you know, as the <laughs> makers of the game. But there is a lot of information that goes on in a character sheet. And, uh, you know, these people were looking at their, uh, you know, six pages of backstory and oh, and, and all the things that go into making a character, uh, you know, in front of them. And they said, you know, no, I, th I think we can, you know, condense this down to mobile, uh, you know, in some way. And so uh, we, we started looking at ways to do that. And I, I think the uh, end result is something that, uh, you know, is just, you know, truly remarkable. I'm really excited for people to get this in their hands. Um, I can certainly see someone, you know, seeing this character sheet and the automation that is there. And, uh, you know, uh, we've got, I, I can't wait until everyone is able to, uh, you know, pick this up on an Andro uh, Android phone and, you know, open the hit points tracking piece. And, uh, you know, I'd love to see reaction videos of you yeah. know, the, the little haptic vibration that's going to happen when you move <laughs> the wheel. <laughs> so, uh, you know, little things like that, uh, you know, there's just an incredible amount of, um, you know, uh, polish that, that's been able to, to get into this thing. And, um, you know, so as that is happening, I understand some people might not want to use that. To be honest, uh, for a long time, I was, you know, one of those people. It's like, okay, I'll build my character. I will print out that character on a piece of paper. Of course, you will be able to do that uh, with DDB uh, as well. And, and it's a-okay if you, you take that route, of course. But, um, you know, the thing about the character builder or uh, the character sheet that I'm excited about is kind of that, uh, you know, World of Warcraft armory effect. Mm. I spent just an embarrassing amount of time just on that page for my character, Sorenvir. And I'm just looking at this dude and, and thinking like, okay, this is what I want next out of life. This is what I want <laughs> out, of, out of this raid, this, you know. And just hours and hours of time just spent looking at this digital character that I developed this connection to. And I think that, you know, for Dungeons and Dragons players, uh, you know, we connect to 
our, our characters in all the best ways. And I, I think that everything that, you know, DDB is doing with that character sheet and, and that ability to pick it up while you're on break or the ability, you know, while you're at you know home sitting on the couch and, and you just, you know, check out your character and, and you just had a popcorn thought about what spell you want to pick next or, or whatever, you can do that with, you know, so much convenience. And, and that's the thing that I'm really looking forward to, to getting out to people. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think you're right. There's going to be people who are going to do it on the you know pen pen and paper still mode. I mean, I, I did that when I used the the D and D Insider tools for Fourth Edition. I would print it all out, you know, and have yeah. it all ready and make my notes and then go back. And that was like a fun thing the next day was to go and enter in the changes or things it. that I'd gotten yeah, right. Yeah, and I that. think there's definitely going to be people who who latch onto that and do it that with 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 DDB. But the idea that so many, I mean, even the change in what they're you know eight ten years. You know, back then, people didn't have uh, phones that were capable of this right. kind of thing, you know, at, at the, the tracking level that you're talking about. And now that I think that's become a lot more ubiquitous, we think, you know, yeah. I assume you guys are probably building in some social media, you know, tags for this so that people can share their characters way more easily. Uh, uh, I just love that Come idea. On. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you- that that's, that's something that's important to us is the ability both as, you know, for tilt the community, you know, get excited about the game and get excited about their characters as well. But also um, kind of what to Adam said, like, again, as a new player, um, the ability for me to feel like this is my character and it isn't just on, you know, necessarily on just a bunch of pieces of paper as a new player, that initial like this is my character taking ownership of it, learning all about it, you know, for someone that hasn't isn't familiar with all of this paperwork, isn't familiar with all of these things, um, that was a big barrier to entry. So, you know, as a, as a, as a newbie, I'm super excited to be able to say to all of my friends, no, like this isn't this, it sounds super intimidating, but it's not, it's super easy now. And now we can all go be elves and all <laughs> run around and all go do all of this stuff. So that's something, you know, from my perspective and also, you know, to enhance the community, which is what we always want to do, but also to bring in those new people and make it as easy as possible to get hooked on this game. Right. Leah, had you not played until until Adam forced you into it? <laughs> no, I uh, I'd always really wanted to. I'd always kind of like. I also didn't really have any cool DMs around me that would be patient. Mm. Um, but I finally got to like, be like, no, this is for work. <laughs> like I have to dedicate like nice. eight to ten hours of this for work. This is work. Um, Isn't that the and, best? Yep. Yeah, I <laughs> we know, use that God, too. It's great, right? Um, so yeah, I started playing a little bit before uh, we launched, just because I knew that I was going to be helping to market this, and I wanted to really understand it. And then within like, I mean, now I'm in two, you know, two I, things. I, I think it's you're a playing problem. in like three campaigns. Yeah, it's point, a bit right? of an issue. So yeah, um, it's work. Obsessed. It's work. Yeah, this is research. Yeah. Um, but it's <laughs> shut up, yeah, mom. This is work. <laughs> 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 I really am. Uh, yeah, but it's it's been a lot of fun. So I uh, I love that the community is up, you know super hardcore and everybody plays a lot. But I can still come in and kind of be the noob and be like, can I roll these on the? Can I roll this in in D and D Beyond? Because I'm tired of doing math. Like I know that you guys have this down, but I'm I'm tired of it. So hey, I'm tired. I I'm I'm with you. I don't like the math as much either. So having something that does that for me yep. is is amazing. And what uh, yeah. you mentioned, elves. Is that the? Do you play elf characters? Yeah, well, my gamer tag is Elf Queen. Like, it's always been Elf Queen. I have, like, a thing for elves. Uh, in uh, the campaign in the office that I play, I'm an elf. I'm actually a dragonborn drag queen in my other campaign. Ooh, um, nice. Yeah, so we've, yeah, it's all kinds of fun stuff. But immediately, any opportunity to get me to play something, if someone's like, you can play an elf, I'm like, ah, all right, I'll do it. Like, 
That's Al, awesome. I'll take. I'll I'll try. That's me. So it's th- been a I, lot of fun. I think we talked about this uh, at Pax East too, but I'm an elf person as well. Me Definitely. too. Yeah. I love elves. Yeah, we got three out of the four people here are elves. Adam, Adam what are you? Oh, uh, man, I I haven't gotten to play for, like, I don't know, 15 years. <laughs> oh, you're the dungeon master. <laughs> Always a DM. Yeah, you're playing every character. So, yeah, every I, class. I keep, you know, trying to just, you know, I, I want to beg Perkins to let me in one of his games or something, you know. Nice. I just, I, I want to play so bad. But, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, if I, uh, you know, were to play, I imagine that I would, uh, you know, really like, uh, to play something that uh, has a lot of versatility, so uh, you know, probably a little more boring with the human there. Uh, but uh, that is pretty boring. I, I, I would create the variety in the uh, actual role playing and the class that I chose. So <laughs> that, that's what we'll say about that. Elves are still better. What's okay. what was the the uh, race class combo for your your D, uh, WoW character that you mentioned? What's what's your main there? I was um, Sorenvir, uh, was a human paladin on the Alliance side before I saw the light about both uh, the Horde and uh, also the uh, warrior class because I, I tanked, uh, you know, through, you know, raid progression uh, and, and everything else. And as a paladin? Well, I, I started out as a pally, but then I, I felt a little inferior, mm. and so I went and rolled the warrior, and uh, and so I was an orc warrior. Uh, I do love orcs uh, quite a bit, and so um, you know I went through you know raid progression all the way through, um, you know um, Ice Crown Citadel, uh, Wrath of the Lich King. Mm. Um, stopped playing at some point after that, but uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was always an orc warrior uh, because I love charge. Charge is my favorite ability in the game. That makes sense. All right, cool. I was just trying to get a sense of who you were from yes. your from your from yeah, your yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you just psycho profiled me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You were like, all right, boring uh, uh, human paladin, and then uh, <laughs> moved to a somewhat more exotic uh, orc yeah. warrior. Not really that exotic at all, really. To <laughs> <laughs> eat their own. I know. I was yeah. a dwarf paladin, uh, which there's like none of those on any server that I've ever found. It's like if you look at any of the stats, it's like one of those one of the smallest slivers of of the population. I know humans are like. The, isn't that the most popular? Race uh, night to elves play? and humans, humans on the alliance side. So I don't get. Yeah, I'm not trying to be playing a fantasy game. Like, I know. Yeah, I don't want to be a human. I had a buddy who, when we signed up in 2004, was like, "Yeah, he's like, I don't want to. I, I want to be human." I'm like, oh, that's "But really you lame. are a human." I know, right? <laughs> Good, you, you already did that. Up? We can do something new. Yes, this is exactly. a fantasy game. I know. So uh, I am someone who treats all of my characters like they're my children, and I love them all dearly. And you so hate all your kids. <laughs> yes. So if they're like my children, I really don't like them at all. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. I love my your, baby. Your characters ever, you know, projectile vomit all over. Oh. <laughs> oh, don't even. I'm getting the cold sweats. Sorry to bring that back up. Oh, okay. Um. But I was intrigued by a feature in which you could just be a random character. You can just random, <laughs> yeah. you can just say, do it for me. And then out comes a totally random character. I'll be honest, I'm really uh, surprised by not only your reaction, but a lot of the community uh, when that came out. Uh, it, was, it was something that, you know, we have the ability to do. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's not terribly difficult for us. And so we said, you know, we're going to also... Uh, include this uh, in addition to a you know quick build option. So uh, you know just straight out of the player's handbook, you can 
uh, you know, hit that hit that quick build. You you know, choose a, a race and a class, I think, and then after that, it does everything for you. You have a you know first level character ready to go. But for the randomized, you can get into a few more options than that. You can do race and class. You can do uh, you know what um, you know character level you want that character to end up at. And, um, you know, all of that would automate into something and we will, you know, have some algorithms that, um, you know, try to kind of op optimize, you know, across all those uh, parameters, you know, mm. the best that we can. But, uh, it, it's really a, a great way for, you know, a dungeon master to uh, quickly get an NPC uh, if they need yeah. that, you know, oh, yeah. to uh, it's it's also, uh, again, someone else uh, here in the office said, you know, I can't wait. Uh, to create random characters, I'm going to you know create these characters. I'm going to give them all names based on you know what they come out as and yeah. what 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 I think their personalities are when they when they randomize. So uh, you know it's it's really intriguing. Again, I, I didn't know that that would uh, resonate with uh, as many people as it uh, appears to. But uh, yeah, we're excited about that. You're going to have the ability to do that. I, I think it. it sounds fun. Like that would be a really fun game yeah. to just sit down with your group and hit random and then just see what, what you come out as. Now you got another just thing like to do life. when you're during the day and not recording Dragon Talk. I'm you can do that. I make so many characters. <laughs> I, know, I, I love making characters. I think it's what you exactly mentioned, uh, Adam, was the dungeon master being able to have that tool at his disposal to be like, all right, I know, I just randomly made up uh, uh, this dwarf. Uh, okay, now he's in a fight. I don't have any stats ready. What happens, right? So like being able to do that very quickly is, is awesome. And I have one of those books that's called... Um, DM's toolbox. It's like a you know a thick paperback right. that is basically random tables for 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 stuff like that. Um, you know, a lot of it is story based and dungeon based and location based. But like just the idea, I always used it for just being like, all right, I, I need a I need a character stat, and you know, D and D beyond being able to provide that is amazing. You know who's gonna have fun with that? Who? Your daughter. Oh yeah, totally. Edna's gonna make characters all day long. I know. And then draw their pictures. When we were making our World of Warcraft character, there was a lot of randomizing. And then, oh. and then you tweak it after that. Like you can, then you can, mm -hmm. you know, make it. So I think uh, a lot of people. Will, I mean, I will use that as a starting point in making a character, and then make changes along the way. Yeah. Well, and and that is, um, you know, really the path we're taking here. So you know, once you do, you know, whether it's a quick build, uh, randomize, it, it takes you right to the screen where you can see these characters. Once you see that character, you can, uh, you know, go right into the sheet and start playing with that character, or you can, uh, you know, take the other path and go right into the builder and tweak that character. So, uh, you know, we're trying to make it really, really easy to jump back and forth between the sheet and the builder, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether you're editing or, or playing. That's sweet. So, well, does the Dungeon Master, can they see your character sheet? That's a really great question, and it is tied to um, the campaign management that I was talking about earlier. So if you have a campaign as a dungeon master, you've invited players to be a part of that, then uh, by default, uh, that dungeon master is able to you know, not only view but edit uh, the characters that are inside what? that campaign. But well, that happens all the time. You know, I, Leah was talking about we ran a one shot uh, here in the office the other day, uh, myself and one other DM. And uh, we, we had 20 players uh, that all, you know, kind of uh, started out together uh, in the, the audience chamber of the Xanathar. And, uh, you know, then they are, are going off on separate quests for the Xanathar. And then they come back at the end. And of course, they try to, you know, 
kill the Xanathar. My side one, in case yeah. you were wondering. I just <laughs> wanted to throw that out. Nice. I, because, yeah, of your, so, because of your uh, uh, contributions, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. I'll I'm carry sure the she, team. She I'm fine. turned into a dragon <laughs> or, or something. But, um, but ultimately, uh, you know, part of that, uh, you know, thinking about that campaign, um, our uh, co-DM for the night, he spent I don't even know how many hours creating, you know, 20 characters that are usable and ready, uh, you know, for these players as they were coming in because the vast majority of these folks have, have never played D&D. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with the campaign management and that DM being able to see the, the characters and be able to, you know, tweak those characters, you know, they can review that character because I know in a lot of campaigns, you know, we, we say, yeah, I'm, I'm good with everything except if it came from this source or, or, or whatever, you know, right. and, and, and that dungeon master has the ability to see those things and, you know, uh, step in and make some of those changes for the players. Of course, the players can see that when that happens, but uh, still it's just an interactive process for those characters. Um, you know, and, and giving the the DMs and the players that ability uh, to kind of share that back and forth uh, is really important to us, uh, and we're looking forward to that. Other players within the campaign, if if they're not the DM, they can see you know pretty basic information about the other characters uh, in that campaign. You know, they can see ability scores, they can see you know race, class, level, those kinds of things. Uh, but you know, the more secret, juicy bits that you're gonna you know write eight pages worth of notes about how you're actually a gold dragon in disguise or whatever, you yeah. know, uh, all, all of that wouldn't be, you know, available uh, to see for those other players in case, uh, you know, players have secrets they'd like to keep. Way to spoil Leah's character right there. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think it's really interesting that you guys mentioned a few times that you guys have run this internally at Cursed with uh, with with folks that may not be familiar with D&D &D and the fact that there's a lot of fans uh, out there of MMO you know, fantasy MMOs and other things that are like very, you know, comfortable with all the tropes of, of uh, frankly, of Dungeons and Dragons because of all that. You know, do you guys anticipate there's going to be a lot of crossover amongst those kind of fans that like be like, oh, well, maybe I can I can do Dungeons and Dragons role playing sessions because a lot of this is is being taken care of, you know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that what's great about Curse is that we have a network of of sites and communities that span all kinds of games. So once you know we get uh, DDB up and going, that this is a great thing for us to be able to tap into our existing other communities. I mean, Curse reaches, I think it's like twenty, like some some ridiculous number. I don't want to say the wrong thing because then my boss will hear it and yell <laughs> at me. But many, many, many. Fifty um, gazillion. Yeah. <laughs> One quadrillion. Um, <laughs> But we have a lot of different communities that are all very active, and it will be great for us to be able to say, because, I mean, at the end of it, everyone that uses Curse is a nerd. Like, and right. we all, you know, in the core of being, you know, a huge nerd is wanting to play some really cool game. And, you know, the fact that we could say, oh, like, you know, do you really, really love your WoW character for, like, when we're talking to MMO Champion or something? Well, cool. Bet. You can bring it over here. We can, we can play a campaign based on that. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun for us to be able to, to toy with and, um, and bring that capability to players of any type of game. Um, so I'm super excited about that personally. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it's going to be great. And it sounds I, like you I got some converts. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, you seems like you got some converts in the office already too, which is, oh which my is gosh. Fantastic. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah it's it, a lot. It's, it's kind of taken over. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it may be unhealthy. Yeah. In some ways. Um, it's but, work, um, you guys. It's yeah. work. <laughs> Just embrace that. <laughs> Come on. As an avid uh, video game player uh, for you know years and years, um, I'm much older than it seems like I am. Um, 
but um, no. you know, and, and playing D and D for as long as I have, you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is my first love. Uh, you know, no doubt about that. But I think that uh, you know, playing these video games, it, you know, people start to understand that you know that market is really, really saturated. It, mm. It's very, very difficult to find that time in front of a screen somewhere to continue to play. Uh, you know. The, the video games that you, you want. I have a backlog that's pretty long at the moment that I'm trying to get through. Uh, and, I, and I think many of us, uh, you know, as we get older, uh, kind of continue to experience that. And the thing about Dungeons and Dragons is, you know, whether you're doing it virtually over one of the VTTs or if you're, uh, you know, playing around the table with people, there is actual, you know, human interaction. And, and, and that element is, is just you know, so important for Dungeons and Dragons. And I think for us, um, you know, we definitely can say, and, and this was, you know, the pitch here in the office when I, I, I started all this, I, I said, you know, you guys play Diablo, you play, you know, World of Warcraft, you play, you know, all these other games, you play Fallout, whatever, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was the start of, of everything that you're enjoying mm -hmm. in these games. And, uh, you know, it really uh, speaks to the, to these, you know, video game players and they want to come over. But, you know, the other side of that, um, you know, I, I, you know, we won't talk too much about uh, older editions or anything right here. But <laughs> I, I think there has been some backlash um, you know, at times in the past that says, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is not a video game. We don't want to make it a video game. And I think that as we are setting out to make, you know, this digital tool set, it's really important to make the distinction that we are not in any way trying to turn Dungeons and Dragons into that video game. We're trying to let D&D be everything that it's always been. And, and that's that interaction and that focus on, you know, epic uh, interactive storytelling with, with friends. We're just trying to make that part easier. And, and right. I think, uh, you know, that's that's the thing that, um, you know, we've really been focused on, you know, from the beginning. And the great news is that all of these people that enjoy, you know, role-playing games of any sort, video games or otherwise, uh, you know, once they're introduced to Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you know, with, with, you know, a good DM, uh, you know, there's just nothing like it. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I've been, I've been experiencing that as well, too, that, like, you can get as much as you can get from a single-player, you know, or even a multiplayer, you know, RPG on the computer on uh, Xbox, but... Nothing beats just laughing around a table uh, uh, or, or You don't or, like just typing, online. LOL, LOL. I mean, sometimes you can do that, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, and you get something back and forth, but, you know, just being able to, to uh, as you said, have that, like, that yep. that tabletop experience, you know, whether it's virtual or not, uh, is, yeah, paramount. And it's cool that some of the folks uh, that may have only had experience, you know, with uh, with the video game side can now experience that, you know, with the, with the ease of, Something like DD Beyond, uh, uh, you know, doing all that back work for them. And you, I, you know, we only have a couple more minutes, Adam. But you've mentioned a few times that you played uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons for twenty years now. What was it about? You know, we we, we kind of skipped over this, but sometimes we uh, we ask our guests what you know what was their introduction? How did they get started? And so, yeah, if you want to you want to close us out here with when did you start playing D and D, and what was it about it that uh, that that brought you in? Uh, I'm glad you finally got around to it. I didn't even know <laughs> how to start this He's been practicing in the mirror and everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I, I, I have played for a while. My uh, first exposure to uh, Dungeons and Dragons was actually with the wonderfully charming uh, cartoon. <laughs> that nice, came out. Oh, yeah. and um, you know, just absolutely love that. I, uh, if you can't tell by the accent, I live in Alabama mm -hmm. and, um, I, you know, growing up in the South kind of, 
uh, in the middle of the Bible Belt. Uh, you know, the the satanic scare was, was really a, a real thing here, yeah. and uh, it, it kind of lasted a little bit longer than uh, you know in, in this uh, you know part of the world. And um, so, you know, growing up, uh, it, it was strangely taboo. Uh, to, to, you know, talk about Dungeons and Dragons or to think about playing the game. And uh, so, you know, for many years, you know, saw that cartoon. It, it just stimulated my imagination so much. Uh, you know, I would be in class in middle school, uh, you know, Scholars Bowl uh, period or whatever. And I'd be, uh, you know, uh, I'd, I'd have graph paper out drawing maps that I would oh. run my friends through without even, you know, understanding anything about the game of Dungeons and Dragons. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of like to think that, you know, I was doing a lot of that before uh, even being introduced to D&D. But, you know, I, I think uh, I was around 15 and, um, you know, started playing in an advanced Dungeons and Dragons campaign with, um, you know, at the time, a, a student minister uh, at, at a church I was attending. Uh, and it was, you know, kind of uh, because of the uh, perception, uh, you know, it was a little bit, uh, you know, hush hush, but, uh, you know, he introduced yeah. me to the game. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, forever grateful for that. And I, I remember that I, um, you know, we were in Dragonlance. Uh, so, uh, you know, adventuring in Kryn. And uh, I remember I was, uh, you know, a, a human paladin in that game so there we you know i started out as a paladin you've there. got a type human yep. you've got a type yep. you've got, got a type, type you know and uh i was uh I, I think i only played for maybe three sessions and just absolutely loved it and then after that the guy that introduced me asked me if i would dungeon master and then i've basically dungeon master ever since oh, oh wow Aww. that's cool yeah yeah we hear that's a very similar background to me as far as the uh, you know uh, uh, the, the feeling that it was taboo and and still being fascinated with it maybe even yeah. being fascinated with it more because of that reason, um, but uh, that's awesome and I, I like that it was a, a, a you know a, a student minister that brought it in because I hear that a few times that people fought through that taboo by having uh, either priests or, yeah. or, or or youth ministers you know kind of introduce that as like no this is something that can you know explore almost the ideas of faith in a way that you can't explore, you know, uh, uh, Absolutely. as an adolescent in other ways, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, I think that, uh, you know, we're, uh, because of people uh, doing that and introducing uh, people to the game, you know, we're uh, just way better off uh, for it at, at this point. And I, I think, uh, you know, Huntsville, Alabama, where uh, Curse is located here, uh, is, uh, you know, kind of a, a mecca for, uh, you know, geek activity, uh, you know, here uh, in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. and, well, that's uh, cool. You know, I didn't that, know that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, uh, my yeah, gosh. Dungeons and Dragons is uh, extremely prominent. You know, it, it's not surprising to drive down the street, uh, you know, almost every time I'm coming home from work, I, I, I see something about Dungeons and Dragons on someone's car, you oh. know, so uh, it's... Uh, I thought you were going to say like that... <laughs> I thought you said there was like D and D games in the in the alleys and uh, <laughs> on the sides of the street. <laughs> Maybe no. not quite that prominent. <laughs> wearing a wearing a DDB shirt, uh, walking around Huntsville is my new favorite thing because you can't really You're get like much done. But at least five people will be like, "Oh my gosh, can I hug you? Did you or do you have anything to do with Dungeons and Dragons Beyond?" So wow, oh that's cool. I'm gonna go to Huntsville. I know. I right? know all my D and D t-shirts. All my all my <laughs> wardrobe is D and D t-shirts, so it'll be perfect. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining us to talk about uh, uh, your your this big project. Yeah, and, and all the work you're doing on it. Yeah, where uh, where I mean, yeah, where can people find out more uh, about D and D Beyond, but also uh, you guys personally? 
So uh, D&D Beyond, uh, definitely check out D-N, the, the letter N, uh, dbeyond.com. Uh, that's where you can come and uh, join the beta and uh, you can start using the compendium, the listings, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, right now in your games, it's hard for me to go without it now. Uh, we will be announcing uh, when phase two releases uh, pretty soon. Uh, so keep your eyes on that. Uh, please join us there. Uh, also at DND Beyond on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also have a Facebook page. Uh, you know, we've got some pretty active communities uh, springing up there as well. Uh, personally, I am at Bad Eye Adam on Twitter and um, encourage you. Uh, that's a really good way to reach out. If anybody has questions, uh, I pay you know a lot of attention to that because it's very bite-sized and I love Twitter for that yeah. reason. So I uh, encourage you to reach out to me there. Uh, I'm at Leah Coons uh, on Twitter. And um, yeah, we're, you know he's also super active in the forums. Our forums are huge. So if you guys ever want to test it out and have any feedback, throw it in the forums, reach out to us on Twitter. Um, you know, we listen. This is uh, for the community. So we want to make sure that we implement everything and, and make it the best that it can be. So we're excited to see where it goes from here. Nice. Me too. Awesome. Get in touch with those folks there. Definitely sign up for the beta. Anybody can join. So just go ahead and sign up now and you can figure out what the compendium is all about. Um, and then, uh, yeah, when the phase two of the character builder drops, uh, you'll, be, you'll be getting a notice and get, be the first, one of the first ones in there. So go make it happen. Good deal. Yeah. All right. Thanks you so much, Thank guys. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Great talking to us. you. And, uh, Have yeah, a good one, likewise. guys. Looking forward to hearing more. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Man, I love uh, that Leah and Adam Bradford. I could talk to them forever. Not like they're married. It's not I know. Leah. I was like, wait Leah I'm Coons mad. and Adam Bradford. <laughs> uh, I had a great time with them when we hung out at PAX East, and I'm so excited that they're bringing D&D uh, to be on to yes. all of you fans out there. Yep. And they are fans, too. So. Yeah. From fans, for fans. To the fans. To the fans. With the fans. And the goal is to enhance your game, not to, like, take it over, or just making things easier. Yeah. And not to eliminate the interaction at the table, which I thought was, was a, a nice thing to reiterate. Right. It's a good point. Yeah. Because, yeah, the, the, it's a tool. Like, that, actually yes. using the, the, that terminology was great because it means that, yeah, you're not just meaning, like, oh, I'm going to be typing away and, and, you know, not paying attention. But yeah. no, it's like it's just something that makes it easier. As for someone who me who likes to perhaps get a little bit inebriated when playing a game, the math adding stuff doesn't really oh, that's happen. why you don't like the math. Yeah, it's because, I mean, I'm not good at math to begin with, but then, you know, a couple bottles of wine in, it's like, I don't know. So you know how I, I asked about, like, can the can the DM see your character see? So that they can do all the math for I you? I don't want them to see. Because sometimes I buy things and I don't have the money for it. <gasps> <laughs> what? Are you like a cheater? Let's just say I'm a good negotiator. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Or maybe I like already used that spell. You, as someone who only plays spellcasting characters, you make up. I don't know, well, that's part of the game, I guess. I just wanted to use it again. Well, all right. I don't know. I, is that cheating? That's a bit cheaty. It's I'm a helping cheatery. the party, though. Yeah. Uh, it's a little Robin Hoodie. But, I mean, in the context of the story, well, that's now I can get called out. Yeah, now DM. I'm totally going to call you out now whenever I DM for you. I'm be like, Not Shelley. if I'm saving your ass. That's true. Yeah. All but right. Speaking of, when are we playing Tomb of Horrors? Soon. We were supposed to play online with uh, one of our fans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? He said he was going to set something. It was James in Intracasso from the uh, James, uh, Tome Show, James, we right? want to play. Yeah, we're going to make it happen. Okay, well, I'm a cheater, so 
So you're just gonna have to deal with that. But on uh, if you're playing on you know uh, roll twenty or fantasy ground, that's very hard to do. That's not gonna be good for me. Yeah. Maybe no. I'm a shoplifter. Maybe you could be a shoplifter. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. I should on be a, playing a rope. On a whole other podcast, we'll get into our uh, our shoplifting uh, past. I'm not talking about my past anymore. <laughs> because the, the snork that I lifted from, like, Claire's back in 1981 is going to have a Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> Put me back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you had, like, three references in there. It was snorks Bam. and Claire's. Bam. 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 I, I It wasn't snorks. Claire's. I actually can't remember the name of the store. I'm too old for Claire's. The snorks, though, were. Do you remember the snorks? I do remember the snorks. They had that. It was basically like a yeah, Smurf exactly. knockoff, but it had, they were but all underwater. Yep. And they underwater had like that Smurfs. Didn't really, thing. didn't really catch on though. It was like a Saturday morning cartoon for like a couple of years. They at tried. Least, right? They tried. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Obviously, I liked them enough to steal them. Shout out to the snorks, the snorks and Peggy. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> all right, we are making this long podcast even longer. Uh, go check out dndbeyond.com. It is amazing. It's going to get even more amazing as more of the phases of uh, the beta roll out. And uh, we got a lot more exciting news coming on that front. Again, check out Tales from the Yanni Portal. It's available everywhere, including Roll20 and Fantasy Ground. So go check that out there if that's more of an inclination to play online. Okay. I'll do it. All right. Yep. Guys, how can you get in touch with uh, Shelly? Do you guys remember? What's who, Shelley's, who are you what, What's your Twitter handle? At Shelly Moo. All right. I'm at Greg Tito. Mm-hmm. Please uh, message us about all of your shoplifting stories oh, from your youth yeah. as well as whether or not you like snorks. Everybody did it. Everybody did it back then. <laughs> it's a thing to do. Uh, and I, I shudder to ask this, but you go leave some reviews on iTunes. Uh, it really helps people uh, learn more about our awesome hobby and gets this top of mind for everyone, which I think is what we should not be doing. No, no, more, no more top of mind. Why? For all of your bad stories of things that's happened to you in your past. I got more. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll save that for a future episode. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank this you. has been Dragon Talk, and we're fired. <laughs> Not you, Ryan. You're good. <laughs> <laughs>